Hello, and welcome to a brand new episode of Third Degree Burn. Uh, I am Tim Elliott, uh, and with me, as always, the yin to my yang, Brian Hughes. Hello. Hi. How you doing? Hey. How's it going? <laughs> oh, oh, Gardner's going to get you for that one. Uh, I've been saying that longer than he has. I'm older than him. <laughs> he just recorded it first. <laughs> But you know, I think I think I actually recorded it back in 1991 at UTA when I was doing entertainment news. Did you did you file a copyright? Because if you don't, sorry. Well, I, I know it's out there on the air somewhere. <laughs> it's in the ether. Yeah, it's it's up there. Unless somebody you know recorded over our tapes, which is entirely possible. You know, Probably. it was sad because we had like audio and video of Lou, Lou Diamond Phillip before he became a big star. And I think somebody taped over all their, all that stuff because we had it all on three quarter inch and beta two, mm. and uh, all that stuff just <sighs> wiped away. Like the BBC and Doctor Who. Yeah, we'll use these tapes again. We don't need to keep these old shows. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest though, I've never watched a full episode of any Doctor Who. Really? I've watched uh, Torchwood. Actually, I watched the. I watched uh, the first three seasons, the BBC series, and then I watched the Star series. Oh. And while I found the Star series not quite well, as well written, I thought it was much better produced than the BBC version. Probably had more money. I've heard mixed reviews on Torchwoods. Like, the first season's good, the rest are crap. Well, the, um, the, the Star series had an incredibly interesting concept. And that, of course, was that nobody was dying. And hmm. what would you do if nobody was oh. dying? You know, if everybody would yeah. just kept living. And, I mean, you could shoot them and they continue living. You put rebar through their bodies, they still live. They could be sitting there of old age. You know, they, they basically took a guy and chopped him to bits, and yet the cells of his body were still living. And it was just like, okay, this is really creepy. So you know what they did to anybody that they decided should be dead was they would incinerate them makes sense maybe but you know based on the way that that world worked they were still alive <laughs> that ash was them just little bits of them going ah, ah. they reconstitute themselves oh boy that, that was a messed up show that was just a really messed up show but it, it had moments in it that every moment borrowed from something else you'd seen somewhere else yeah and I you know even they they uh, borrowed a moment from the boy in the striped pajamas had you ever seen that movie or read that book I think I've seen the movie Where, with uh, concentration camp what yeah 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 yeah, yeah. so it, it borrowed that last bit what happened to the boys for a character oh, yeah, just, okay. yeah hey we're about to take a shower <laughs> no, no no you're not not quite not quite <laughs> Gee, what's that funny smell? It's like almonds. Hey, there's, there's no there's no water coming out. Okay, so, so Brian, what are we gonna talk about? Since one, let's address the fact that we haven't been uh, on the air for quite some time. So this is our our big comeback, <laughs> a big comeback show, I guess. Well, you know, now I've got every intention of of holding you to this, and that you know we're gonna try and get together at least every month and put something out. Um, I, I definitely want to try and put out an episode before Christmas that's not this one, uh, mm -hmm. if if possible. And I was thinking maybe we could do the She-Hulk Christmas issue. 
Uh, that was just the thought I had. Um, yeah, you can do that. Uh, but but yeah, we'll see if we can get that done. But uh, today's episode is about feedback, L- uh, listener feedback. Uh, we've got emails. We've got Facebook posts. Um, I think we might – I don't think – we did not get any dirty limericks. And, uh, yeah. um, but again, I didn't ask for that as much as you asked for, like, uh, recipes. Recipes. Yeah. And we got one recipe. And you Nobody made it. Sent and, in. and you made it. I made it, and there were some these cookie things. They were delicious. It was from a gentleman uh, they in Great Britain that sent it to us, and they were they were great. But um, we need to maybe we need to uh, record a new outro that uh, that asks for uh, maybe something. Maybe we ask for your dirty limericks. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to go through a, a number of emails that go back over a year. Uh, I don't actually have dates on these. I, I sit there trying to search through them. And, and match them up. And I did a really, I think I found some from November of 16, but I'll, I'll uh, give those to you as I do come across uh, the dates, if, I, if it makes sense. But more off the subject of what they're speaking about is going to tell us, you know, what, what it is that uh, this right. we dealt with. Uh, the first email talks about our Captain America issue, which I think that was our fourth episode. Yeah, episode four. Uh, so it's, it, it's talking about Captain America 255, and this comes from... Jason Trenner, otherwise known as Fanboy Miss Prime. And uh, Jason says, Hey guys, interesting you mentioned Byrne did not use the likeness of Harry Mudd in the story, even with having everything in Star Trek at his, at his disposal. Well, guys, there's another issue. Getting the okay to use the likeness of the actor and such, it came up with Star Trek Early Voyages as one of the main characters looked different than he had on screen. Star Trek Early Voyages. I'm not, oh, is this like the golden, is that a comic? the gold key comics or something? Turns out getting the okay mm. for using the likeness of people in TOS is kind of a pain in the butt. It was some, uh, something, however, answered in Star Trek Early Voyages letter page, explained in further detail than that. Kind of surprised uh, for it to apply in this case. Also, the actor died in 1986 or whenever they were recording season three of the Transformers, as he also voiced Cyclonus. Now, uh, in, you know, in, in that subject, you know, I did actually read up on the on the death of Roger Carmel, and you know, he had no heirs, he had no family uh, that lived on after him uh, for anyone to actually speak up as his estate. And when they started doing the movie contracts, of course, they got all the main Star Trek characters to give up the likeness rights. I'm sure for a certain amount of money, so that's not going to be a problem in anything Trek going further. But in cases like Roger Carmel, the guy that played originally played Harry Mudd, mm-hmm. yeah, that's that is the case. But uh, I don't think that we'll run into that a whole lot now. I think if they tried to do uh, the only other person I know that where they're going to have trouble is Terry Gar, and that's because she really had a bad experience with uh, doing Star Trek when when she did that one episode. The backdoor pilot with the yeah the backdoor pilot to Simon uh, Simon Earth was the episode Simon Earth yeah but the the backdoor pilot there uh, you know apparently she didn't really enjoy doing it so she's never really talked a lot about it and prefers not to talk about it so uh, you know that's I think why you know like Byrne wasn't even able to use her likeness when he did Simon Earth he just did a blonde girl. You know. Yeah, but he he was able to get enough that you could tell at least that you could tell there was 
that character, you know, at least you might not be able to, you know, know that it was Terry Carr, but right. he certainly had a problem with uh, Robert Lansing. He got his... Uh, got his eyebrows, man. That's all you yeah, know. You got his... get the eyebrows <laughs> and then make him look like Harrison Ford. Beyond that, you're okay. All right. <laughs> uh, moving back into his email, though. As for the FF movie, oh, boy. I tried dreaming up a trilogy of live-action FF movies, and I can only remember clearly the second one. It would take from the ultimate FF, Averted Future with the Scrolls. Because, uh, yeah, excuse me. Because the second movie tie into the minds of the FF, uh, to fan of the fans of the FF mythos of the second issue. I can't understand what he's saying here. Let me say this again. Because the second movie tie in to the minds of the fans to the FF mythos of the second issue being where the scrolls first appeared. Anyway, it would have gone with the scrolls showing up and giving everyone besides the FF superpowers, leaving the FF for the second act trying to figure out how they would fit in a world where everyone is like them, and find out the scrolls did that to swipe whatever powers people would gain and likely have the process be fatal. Reed would work to try to counteract that and stop the scrolls. The third act would be them battling the super scroll, or at least Paybach, the power scroll, or something like that. You know, it's it's really interesting that we're now in an age where Mar- uh, DC may actually be buying 20th Century Fox, and uh, if if they do that, then we might you know, actually see the Fantastic Four and um, the X Men coming back into the well, coming into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and we might actually get the Fantastic Four back, and that's the one reason why I'm all for this this uh, merger or buyout or whatever you want to call it. Hopefully that'll happen. And then we can see the fantastic four be organically brought into the Marvel cinematic universe and back into the comics universe where they belong. That's, that's exactly what they got. That's, that's what, um, that's the one thing that I would love if we could think it pride burn out of retirement to come back and relaunch the FF. I, I don't think that, that you want him to do this. I, I don't think that you want Byrne or someone old to come and do this unless it's somebody that hasn't done it before, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I, I would I would rather see someone else new come in and give it a shot, but, you know, do something, A, that, that like Byrne did, points back to the past, but B, still points towards the future. You know, bring in, you know, do a Galactus story, but don't have it be a retread of all the other Galactus stories. You know? Yeah. And don't drastically change the, you don't have to come in and shake things up to be, you know, to, for, to be good storytelling. You can still capture this, the, 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 you know, the, the, the feel and the essence and the, the, the heart of. Right. Uh, other FF, but you can still kind of move off in your own direction. A lot of a lot of them feel like they need to change things up. Well, you, you know, got to kill a character. Or... Marvel recently got rid of their editor in chief, and I don't remember the guy's name. Um, but, but I think that that this is this is what I was sitting there thinking all along: is everybody's talking about how Byrne needs to come back and draw books or write books or whatever, get back into the Marvel sandbox or the DC sandbox. And I'm sitting there looking at it would be. Make Byrne the actual editor-in-chief or the creative chief over Marvel so that he can sit there and tell them, no, 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 these characters do this. Pay attention to the history and understand this is what this is. Someone to be that, that guiding force that can sit there and show everybody how it's supposed to be done. 
Because the one thing that we know about Byrne is he knew how to write books the way we wanted him to to do. Mm-hmm. He he. That's not a that's not a bad idea to have him as a kind of a creative consultant. Yeah, and and if they did that, and, and just listen to it, of course it would only last for a while because someone would have to go their own way, or someone from up above would have to tell Byrne, "I'm sorry, but the shareholders want us to focus on this character doing yeah, this." Would, yeah. And and that's what would get you know Byrne would sit there and say, "That's not how you guys told me it was going to be," so I'm out of here. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, be that as it may, seeing the FF in the the Marvel universe, whether it's comic book or cinematic, whatever's going to happen next is going to be unlike anything that we've expected just because of what's happened so far. And the Josh Trank Fantastic Four movie, you know, I think if anything has told him, no, you guys, you're going the wrong direction. You need to go back to the right direction. You need somebody with a little bit of uh, knowledge and skill to do this. And the perfect person to do it in the cinematic universe is Peyton Reed. And that's the guy that brought us Ant Man. I can see that. I, I actually, I think if they do, I know it would make it harder to bring him into the uh, the 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 contemporary Marvel universe. I would love to see a '60s era, a a uh, vintage, you know, vintage era Fantastic Four, mm-hmm. because they, I think, they're kind of so rooted in the '60s. And I would love to have uh, Hard Day's Night with the Fantastic Four. Yeah, you know maybe not quite a slapsticky, but uh, Joe Johnston. Yeah, Joe Johnston, who did Captain, Captain America. America. Yes, and I think he he and he did the Rocketeer. He does great vintage stuff. Well, better yet, Matthew Vaughn. Matthew Vaughn could do it too. Uh, yeah, I could see Matthew Vaughn could do it. Yeah, and you know the but Peyton Reed, who did Down with Love with Ewan McGregor, actually did a very good '60s uh, sex romp movie. Um, mm-hmm. You know, with with Ewan McGregor and uh, Renee Zellweger, yeah. and uh, he captured that. That that's why what made me think, sit there and think that he would be good to uh, to to do this. Well, I think the problem with that would be either they do a like say you do a you know a sixty six sixty seven kind of era, and they're young, mm-hmm. maybe not as young as Ultimate Fantastic Four, but you know they're they're younger characters, right? Have have them do their movie. Then do you then bring them into the the contemporary Marvel universe? It's you know forty years have passed, yeah. And then they're older. Or how do you how do you link the two? And you know do you have the negative zone? Have them... The negative zone, <laughs> or Doom's time machine? But let, let me let me finish this here, and then I've got we got a, a, yeah, another okay. comment to make. No, this is this is funny though. The third <laughs> film would have been Doctor Doom. After he'd not been in the first two, as seriously, Doom is awesome. But he needs to be used sparingly and in something epic. Well, see, this is a, this is the thing. Even though there's discussions going on about uh, Disney buying Fox, one of the movies that's on uh, Marvel's slate is a Doctor Doom movie. How do they have the rights to Doctor Doom? Well, I'm not Marvel. I'm sorry, Fox. One of the movies oh, on Fox, Fox okay, okay. is a Doctor Doom movie. They 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 yes. apparently listened to us and listened to me bitch so much about the Fantastic Four and how it should be, where they do a Doctor Doom movie leading into a Fantastic Four movie. But it looked like they wanted to do something with the Fantastic Four that was more kid friendly, you know, take it down a level, do like a, a Thunderbirds type take on it or something. Uh, I think that's too. Yeah, I think that's too far. I think it needs to be not dark and gritty, but it needs to be at least not kind of Power Rangers level. 
Um, yeah, but it definitely needs better production value than we saw in the Tim story. But it need, definitely needs to be less realistic or <laughs> fatalistic as we saw in the Josh Trank version. Oh, that's that's yeah, that that's yeah. But you know, I mean, right now it's we're we're in a wait and see moment. We're just stuck right there waiting to see what happens if this if this buyout does happen or, or not. But well, that was supposed to happen. For, they said it could have happened as early as this week or next week. I think. Yeah, but the 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 movie scheme won't change for you know it'll be about six months before we get any good news on oh, what's yeah. really going to happen in the the cinematic universe. And I'm pretty sure that if they secure all the Fantastic Four rights that we'll see a Fantastic Four comic book within four months of that because it's going to take that long to get it produced and put out. Yeah. Okay, so uh, continuing on uh, to Fanboy Miss Prime's email. On to Captain America 255. The Vita Rays seem to be something most other super soldiers knockoffs lack and oh boy. Well, that and drinking some homebrew version is a bad idea. The 50s Cap, Nomad, and many others showing how bad the side effects can be. Though even Cap had problems in the early 90s when he needed the Cap armor to move. Yeah, but that was Cap in the 90s when Mark Grunewald had gotten all the super soldiers serum out of his blood because he was con- that he was convinced it was a drug and, you know, like a performance-enhancing drug instead of a, a serum. Because serum, basically, what, that rewrote the DNA, right? That's what rewrites your genetic code. It's not the super soldier serum is not a a drug in you know, yeah in and that's, I never stood I never stood that when they the, the, but they can they can remove it it's like no it it changed his cellular his structure biology yeah. Yeah, exactly so it's part of him it's not like yeah but but again you know I stopped reading Captain America. Cap had gotten the job back after uh, Walker stepped away. And it wasn't much too far after that. It was basically around the time after Byrne had left West Coast Avengers. There was some point after that. Uh, I, I basically, it was right around the time that the X-Men um, had finished, the, when the X-Men had supposedly been killed and the whole Mr. Sinister stuff was going on. That's pretty much mm-hmm. when, I, when I'd... That's, about, that's probably about where I, I dropped off, maybe just a little bit earlier than that. Yeah. Okay, so and from uh, going back into his email, and from there I got sucked into your discussion on the issue and enjoyed myself. A good issue and good commentary on it. Looking forward to see what you do next as I enjoy you guys going all over in Burns' massive body of work. And you know, I got to tell you, we're really enjoying it, uh, enjoying this, Jason. It's um, you, you know when you listen to other shows, especially index shows, you can kind of get tunnel vision. And um, you can get burnt out on any one subject or the next. And the beautiful thing about, you know, doing some doing a creator show, which isn't something that's you're seeing a whole lot of out there, mm-hmm. um, is that you can go anywhere up and down the line of the body of work. And you know, one 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 week we're doing a Green Lantern story, the next one we're doing a uh, what was it, um, Doomsday Plus One from the seventies. Yeah. We've done stories that have been done in the 2000s and stories that have been done in the 70s. And it's just, it allows that much variety. And so that makes it very enjoyable. Yeah, you're not stuck with, uh, I've heard, uh, as I mentioned before, Dave Ellie just wrapped up his show on Fantastic Four. And he said if he could do it again, he would do uh, basically an index show because then you're locked 
in and you have to sometimes slog through a lot of issues that are terrible, but you have to, you know, you know, and once you started, he felt he had to finish it. So he had to, so he had to go through some issues that he didn't necessarily, he didn't necessarily like, but you know, what we're doing, we can kind of jump around and, you know, either do, sh- <coughs> excuse me, either do issues that we are <coughs> remember fondly, or maybe it's a lot of the issues or ones I've never read before. So I'm discovering for the first time. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm actually surprised that there is not a um, a podcast out there about the works of Peter David. Uh, and maybe yeah, I can see that. Maybe there maybe there is. There's the Peter David Archives. We talk podcasts. I don't know. I'd have to go in there and look. But I, you know, the thing was is that you know I I don't know that there is uh, a podcast out there that looks at the works of Peter David and goes up and down the whole library because you've got so much from all the various works he did on Spider-Man, whether it was Web of or Spectacular, and then the work that he did on Hulk, and then he's gone there and done Young Justice. and um, was well, He's just got a tremendous amount of just super, pros out there. And then, of course, there's all the work he's done for Star Trek, whether yeah. it was in the comic books or the novels. And, um, I, mean, I mean, I could sit there and do at least six episodes on the uh, novel Imzadi and the novel Vendetta which I think are two very, very fine Star Trek novels, uh, if you like The Next Generation. Um, Q and Law, one of the funniest books I'd ever read uh, as far as Star Trek goes. And again, that that's if you can find humor in Luxana Troy and Q meeting. And then um, if you like the Mackenzie Calhoun stories, the, the Star Trek um, New Voyages, is, is that right, New Voyages? Well, New Frontiers. Uh, Peter David's writing, I'd recommend you read his early book, uh, Rock in a Hard Place, which is an Next Generation story. Uh, Riker has gone off to do so, do something, and so this guy Calhoun, not Calhoun, I don't remember what his name was in the book, but basically he was the prototype for Calhoun. Uh, yeah. He's using New Voyages, and uh, it's it's a story about him serving his first officer under Picard, and uh, just he's quite a cowboy. And so it's uh, it had a really funny moment where he and Worf are down uh, trying to rescue some diplomats, and the, this bad guy basically gets in his way and he goes, "Worf, kill him!" And Worf, basically playing along with it, goes <laughs> slowly or quickly, and the the guy goes, "I don't know, surprise me!" And <laughs> just a lot of fun. The, the, the again, you know, it's Peter David, so it's always enjoyable, but. Uh, you know, I mean, he, like, like I said, he's got a great body of work. I don't understand why someone hasn't put a podcast together just so they can discuss that body of work. Uh, you know, it, are we doing something that's so out of the norm here with, with this? You genre? don't see a lot of you don't see a lot of creator podcasts. It's it's and, either and subject or character. That just seems so weird because you you know the thing is is that that the comic book industry is the one area where you've got you have you know, the workmen out there, you know, but you, you you also have the rock stars. And, you know, for every creator that there is out there, whether it's Kirby or Basima or Adams or Todd McFarlane or, you know, whatever, you've got legions of fans who just sit there and swear by these guys that follow everything they do and buy everything they do like we did at Burn. Yeah. And yet there's not any groups out there that are podcasting about them there you know we've got people that podcast about characters and books and situations and you know 
if movies are are as good as Jaws, but we don't have others really talking about the creators that much, you know. And I don't know. It, it seems like uh, untouched vistas of uh, information there. Uh, maybe we're uh, maybe we're pioneers. Uh, yeah. Okay, so let me see here. Um, this next one I've got is from oh Jason Trenner, fanboy MS Prime. <laughs> you want me? To, want me to take this one? Sure. All right. Let's make sure we're on the same track. Okay. Um, uh, title is I guess this is the title is this is an email, right? An email, right? Yeah, it's uh, the first email was Captain America two fifty five. This is just kind of general. The second one starts um, off loving the show. Yeah, loving the show. Have a few burn related things I like to hear talked about. This, as, as stated, this is from Jen, uh, Jason Trenner. Uh, hey guys, as I said, uh, I have been enjoying the show, and there are some oddball things I'd love to see on the show. First is seeing if it is first is seeing it is to be in the okay. First is seeing it is to be in the Marvel Universe by John Byrne Omnibus. Oh, I think he's talking about it's in the John Byrne Omnibus for Marvel. Yeah. Uh, Champions 11 through 15. He liked that that uh, that story arc covered. Oh, okay. Uh, I had no idea Byrne, I had no idea Byrne did work on that series, and I'm sure the adventures of, well, what looked like a bunch of leftover characters thrown together with no other, no one having an idea uh, who exactly should be their main foes should at least give you something to talk about. And that's true. I would, uh, I would like, love to cover some of the champion stuff. Yeah, you, you know that that always raised a question with me. You know, when we talk about like like groups like the Defenders and the Champions and. Even more so when you go over to DC and you, you see all the names that they had for the supergroups. Because you've got the, of course, there was the Justice League, the Justice Society, which was first. And then you have these, what, All-Winner Squad, All-Star Squadron. Can, do, do villains really go, oh my god, it's the All-Winner Squad? <laughs> and would they, would they really go, oh my god, it's the Champions? No, they'd be going, oh my god, it's Hercules and a bunch of other people. But no, I mean, again, you know, it's uh, Champions was one of the definitely, yeah, it was one of those things where they just basically took all the characters that weren't on a team and threw them together. Um, and that was Bill Mantlo writing that, wasn't it? Uh, I believe so. I've, I've never read, I've got it, but I've never read the uh, the Champions or uh, very little of the Defenders. Some of that stuff, it's just... It wasn't in my uh, wasn't on my radar. I want to get. When I was kind of collecting that kind of stuff. I want to get original copies of all the issues to read rather than the digital copies I have. Digital because the digital the coloring on the digital copies I have makes the art look very simplistic. It, it actually mm -hmm. it actually makes the art look bad. And this is Byrne and Bob Layton, if if I remember right. Wow, that's... Uh, on the artwork, and, and, and I I know that their work, you know, the other work that they did together, whether it was Iron Man or Marvel Premiere and the Ant-Man story that we did before, or the uh, Hulk annual that we haven't covered, which we ought to, uh, with the, the Master Mold. Do you remember, do you, do you know which one I'm talking about there with the Angel and uh, Iceman? And the Master Mold, it's a Hulk annual? Yeah, it's a Hulk annual. Oh my gosh! That's, that's not ringing a bell with me. Something new for Tim. This is great, guys. You know, <laughs> this is another great thing about doing this is that 
you're always going to find something. Now, I, I, I consider myself to be pretty well indexed on all the work that Byrne has done. And, I mean, I've seen stuff that he did long before he started actually in the comic book business. I've seen, you know, the the the, the uh, campus newsletter stuff that he did, uh, what he did at Charlton, and even that we, we covered it in an earlier episode was uh, his uh, basically sample of the Fantastic Four story that he did yeah. uh, for Marvel before he started working at Marvel. And... You know, it's like even now, even today, I'm still finding little bits and pieces of work that he's done here and there that I was not aware of. And I've got a list, and I don't even remember where I pulled it from, but uh, basically it's an index of all the work that Byrne has done through the years. And you can just sit there and go to 1985 and find everything he did in June. You know, and that's what we've been pulling from whenever we're sitting there, yeah. you know, each as we cover the books, we try to tell you what else would be going out that month or what else he was working on that month. And that's the list that we pull from. And still, you sit there and go, wait, he worked on this? And then you go yeah, back and look at it and you're just like, wow, there's something I didn't know. Yeah, it's, it's, sometimes it's like uh, just oddball. He did a cover here. He did a cover there. Or it's like he did one issue. He didn't have like long runs and stuff. He just did. I found and I sent it to you yesterday when I was sending my uh, my uh, list. I had no idea he did an issue of Ghost Rider. Oh yeah, yeah. He did um, Ghost Rider and Daredevil right around the same time, an issue of each. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I remember because when I first started uh, heavily collecting on Burn. Um, I remember that one summer and it's like, you know, it's like I, I found both those books at the same time and I was, you know, pleasantly surprised. And, but that was, uh, from the help of my friend Ronnie who ran Heroes Workshop and that was mm-hmm. a comic book shop uh, that I was offered to take over. But, um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, this Hulk annual and I'm sitting there trying to pull up my burn chronology now so I can, uh, point you to that and, I have not been in it so long that uh, it's fallen off my recent list. <laughs> That's not good. Uh, uh, I've got it. It's, it's it's the one I think it's either from Mike's Amazing World or the comic book uh, index database. I found it. Okay, so let me see here. And that'll be Hulk. Uh Incredible Hulk Annual Number Eight uh, Seven, the evil that is cast. And I'm surprised that you haven't seen this one before. I'm sure once you see it, you'll go, "Oh, I remember this one now." I may, yeah, I may. It's just not ringing a bell. And I did not have my backup drive plugged in, so I could sit there and pull up my CBRs. So I'm doing that. Well, I will uh, I will continue with Jason's email here. Okay, I'm going to pull this one up and I'll I'll put it to Dropbox for you. So if okay. you don't have it, cool. then you can. I will. See it. I will may, may read it tonight. Uh, okay, uh, he continues. The next one is X Men: Hidden Years. Uh, yeah, I know this is a, a decisive series. Some people like me enjoyed it. Others not so much. Not one of the greatest sagas of John Byrne, but I have a soft spot for it. I have I have a lot of the issues of X Men: Hidden Years, but I haven't read any of them. I you know I I recently read the entire Hidden Years series, and uh, I really enjoyed it. When I heard what actually happened to Burn with that, um, I, I understand why he left Marvel. 
Um, cause that, I mean, that would, that would, you know, take anyone off. I mean, you know the story, right? No, well, no. I mean, other than him, you know, leaving in the creative differences or, or what I've never heard anything specifically as to. Basically, you know, Hidden Year, he was doing Hidden Years. He had done uh, The Lost Generation. And, uh, but the X-Men, the Hidden Years, you know, he wanted to continue that story and basically do the, because I think it was like from issue 68 all the way up to 92. He wanted The reprints? Yeah, well, no, yeah, those are the reprint <clears throat> issues. And he basically wanted to do an issue for each one of those mis- uh, reprint issues to basically cover the the span of time between the original X-Men and the all-new, all-different X-Men. And mm-hmm. um, what had happened was Marvel was looking at all their books and stuff and they're sitting there saying, well, we've got, you know, we want to put out X amount of books. So we want to do these books. So we're going to have to pick some over here to get rid of. And even though X-Men The Hidden Years was a successful book, it was making money for Marvel. They canceled it so they could that, that the editor-in-chief could sit there and say, no, nah, I want to put out this book for this character instead. Yeah, so they guys could only put out so many. And, and so Burns sat there and said, look, you know, Good business sense says if you're making money, you don't cancel something. And if they're going to make bad business decisions like that, I, I do not want to have anything to do with them. And he hasn't worked for Marvel since. And I can I can agree with that uh, that standpoint. I can understand that. Um, but you know, again, editorial hands have changed a number of times. And maybe there are people there that you could work with, but uh, he just doesn't seem to have any interest in. I, I, I think he's happy doing his his Star Trek work and doing his commissions and just, you know, nobody's. He kind of gets, a, you know, I, I'm uh, I'm assuming IDW just lets him do whatever he wants to with. Um, but yeah, you know, Chris uh, Star Trek. Chris Ryall lets him do what he, what he wants to do, and he, he's perfectly happy doing that. Uh, I, I also think the fact of the matter is, is that if you were to walk through. Again, you know, you, it wouldn't make a difference to you or I, but if you were somebody from the 80s or 90s, let's just say Jerry Ordway, and you were to walk through the offices at Marvel or DC right now, you wouldn't recognize one face. No. You know, there is no bullpen like you used to know, and the expectations of the writers and artists today is completely different from what they were during the day that, you know, the during the time that Byrne was really happy working there. Well, I mean, people are going to move on, but it's just, I, I, uh, I pretty much stopped buying, um, uh, modern, modern comics. Cause one, they're just, I don't like the direction Marvel's going and I really don't read DC, but when I see the solicitations, I don't recognize, except for a handful of people, I don't recognize writers. I don't recognize artists. I don't, of the people that were just five or six years ago when, I was, you know, reading stuff. So it's changing so fast and people are, you know, are leaving or going off to do their own. I mean, I understand they want to go off and do their own independent stuff because you make more money doing that. Uh, you know, you got Bendis now moving over to DC to, I don't know what he's going to work on, but he's, you know, and I don't, I don't blame him there. He's had 20 years or so at Marvel and he's mm-hmm. probably done everything he wants to do and he wants to go try something different. True. True. Yep. Okay. So, uh, um, 
Moving on, yeah. Fourth, uh, fourth is one of those bright spots for John Byrne and Marvel, two-in-one issue number 50. Yeah. That one I believe to be an incredible story and one that deserves some praise. It does deserve some praise. It's, I, it's, uh, I think it's a good that story. is probably one of his critically most praised issues. I mean, you, people can talk about his Fantastic Four issue with the Beyonder, um, or you can talk about a number of things that he did at DC, but this is one right here that... Most most people really like to point back to as his one of his single great works. Uh, we were. It's, I think it's well written. It's it, the artwork is great, and I think it has a lot of uh, it has a lot of heart because you're dealing with you know the it it, it kind of harkens back to the the stuff that Stanley was doing with or Stan and Jack were both doing with uh, this man this monster. Uh, yeah, just yeah with Ben Grant, how he was this tortured person. Yeah, uh, and that that it, it, it's certainly a throwback, and it. And it Makes sense because we know Byrne is such a huge fan of uh, early, uh, you know, the first hundred issues or so of, of Fantastic Four. He's a big fan of those. So, um, yeah, I agree. That's that's one we probably should cover, and it's a uh, we should put that on our radar. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, next, uh, next would be the final story arc of JLA Classified. Roger Stern and John Byrne are finishing off uh, that book with a tale that deserves some praise. Deserves more praise than it gets. That I am not familiar with at all. I, I read that uh, within the last year, and you know that Mark Farmer did the uh, inks on that. And at first, I was really, really impressed with it. But that the more I looked at it, the more I thought, you know what? It looks like a lot more got changed on here than I think you know someone would be happy with. And then I started looking into it, and it looks like you know. There was some heavy redraws on there, and I saw this also in uh, the the JLA issues that Gail Simone uh, and and Byrne worked on when when Necros mm-hmm. and, and or, or Nelson and others were doing there, and, and it just looks like you know that there's I don't know I think that uh, the the edit, editors at DC and I'm not I don't I'm not pointing towards Kupperberg because Kupperberg wasn't like this, but other editors at DC did not necessarily feel that Burns faces were what they wanted to see. So they would have these guys come hmm. back and redo them. Redo? Yeah. Interesting. Uh, I, I thought that, you know, the, the inking that, that, that was done on like Aquaman, especially made, made him look, uh, a lot different than the model that Byrne was going for. But yeah, again, I could be, I could be wrong on that. It's been, a, a, you know, about a year since I read it. Yeah. But a, again, I, I liked it at first glance, but at the same time, they had a villain that I just didn't, there was no no way to catch on to the villain. I had nothing to, to grasp with him. I think it was yeah. a villain that didn't have any uh, history, so you're oh. left with a lot of whatever. And there, you know, it, it was a good story. Roger Stern always tells a good story, but it was it was a, a journeyman story. You know, it wasn't. It, oh, was, okay. it, it was a it was like six issues, but it was kind of a one and done story. You walk in, you walk out. You don't come away with anything new. Yeah, and, and I don't believe the villains ever, you know, coming back. Come back. That's a shame because I I like uh, Stern as a writer. Yeah, I'm kind oh, of a fan I, of him. I do, you know, but you know, again, I think it was one of those. Hey, let's you know go ahead and do this, and you know, nothing new's going to come out of it. You know, nothing longstanding or anything like that. Yeah. But still, it's a fun story, and you get to see Superman and others bashing around. You get to see Aquaman, you know, work to try and basically show that he's really a badass, but. Uh, <laughs> Needs that. Yep, yep, he does. All right. Uh, 
Jason uh, finishes off with finally uh, finally would be pretty much John Byrne's body of work for IDW and Star Trek, which we have covered some and we will cover more uh, in the future. So yeah, you, you know it's uh, funny because when I when I first read his email here, and I don't know maybe it was my vision playing tricks on me, maybe it was my mind because you know I, I would like to see it. I thought that he was saying Firefly would be pr- a pretty good addition to Burns' work <laughs> at IDW, and I'm like. Damn, now that would be great to see Burn draw Firefly. Firefly? Yeah, that would be awesome. I'm surprised there's not a, or maybe there is, I'm, I'm mistaken. Is there a kind of a continuing, like a, a second season kind of, uh, like they did with Buffy uh, for Firefly? You know. Is there any comics for Firefly out there? I don't think that Joss Whedon wants to feed that beast. Because, you know, there's already still this huge contingent of fans that are clamoring for firefly to come back and it's too late i mean it's been it's not that's not gonna 15 years now it's yeah you know all the actors have moved on they 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 know and we've lost some too and and you know it's just i you know it's it's we, we we can move on maybe now you could do something like that and it wouldn't, you know, be so much a, a call to have another thing done because I, I don't think we need to have it done. I like Firefly being what it is. Well, it just needs to, you know, let it, let it, let it go. I mean, it's it's not. Yeah, but again, that was my mind doing that. You know, nothing that Jason yeah. Trenner did there. He just wrote finally, and somehow my mind read Firefly. So uh, I can see that. But still, that would be actually kind of cool. <laughs> well, you can do that as your fan fiction. Hmm. Uh, and he ends with "Love the show as always." Thank you, Jason. That's the, uh, Jason that's actually, that's actually the the. Is that the next one? Well, I'm not sure. Uh, uh, it doesn't matter. He, yeah, it, the, it doesn't. This this next thing right here. I don't know if that. I, I think I, I I edited this okay. poorly when I put it together because I don't know who wrote this then. Okay. Well, it doesn't matter. He. It's somebody said they love the show as always, so that's great. And Jason Turner's on. <laughs> We'll give credit to Jason Trenner. How's that? Yeah, because that's what I thought. I thought it was Jason Trenner. Okay, but it says, hey, guys, loving the show. I got to ask you if you'll ever cover the brief run John had after Walt Simons to left the Avengers book. I love Avengers 309, 310 when the team clashed with with Blastar. Just think uh, it is an era not talked about much. And, you you know, it's interesting because we really haven't covered anything that Byrne had just written aside from our discussions on uh, action angle number one. Um, and I would like to cover some things that Byrne had just written and not drawn. Uh, so that, that's something that we can, that we can consider there. Yeah. I just picked up a trade of his Hulk stories that he, when he wrote, um, he's not the artist, he's just the writer. Yeah. And it's so interesting to cover some of those. Is that Lee Weeks on the art? Um, is it? I've got it here somewhere. <coughs> uh, I can't remember. I don't. Uh, I picked it up at a sale at a comic shop in Dallas that was closing. So. Oh, okay. Well, anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, definitely definitely some fertile ground there uh, for us to to touch. Um, you know, the, the number of subjects, of course. You know, as you you mentioned, or uh, Jason Trenner mentioned, next men. And mm-hmm. I, I don't. I think we've kind of done a little disservice to Burn in not discussing X Men sooner, uh, Next Men sooner. And uh, you know, there are, there are aspects of Next Men which I think are really, really interesting, considering when it originally came out 
and what it gave to us. But I need to do a little bit more research to make sure that, you know, who came up with certain ideas first, if Byrne had written them or if uh, Gaiman or um, Morrison had written certain things first. But I've, I've, I've got to do some research on that before I'm ready to sit there and throw that into the ring. That's just a thought, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, some next men discussion coming probably in this next year. Yeah, I'm gonna jump into some next men. Okay, you want me to read this next one? Yeah, go ahead and do that. That was short. Okay, this one is from June of last, of 2016. Just to let you know, you know, we're reaching pretty far back because we didn't do much fan uh, feedback uh, before today. So uh, this one is talking about that Batman versus Superman live, our, our show that we did at the comic book shop uh, area 51 in Denton. And uh, this is by Mark Anthony Lacey. And as I understand it, that shop is actually closed down. There is it? Yeah, Ow. so uh, sorry. Another one bites the dust. Ouch. Huh? Hey there, he says. I really enjoy your show and listen as often as I can. You do a terrific job. Just listen to the second episode on Batman v Superman. And while I didn't care for Bat uh, BVS nor MOS, I did enjoy your discussion. What I could hear of it anyways, I'm glad you guys had a good time meeting up and doing the show all together, but all of the background noise really made what you were saying hard to hear. Just something to consider for next time. Keep up the good work. You do us Burn fans proud. Take care. Well, thank you, Mark. And, you know, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, you know, I was, I was worried about the background noise, but, you know, I, also, I've been listening for the last couple of years to one of the most talked about shows on the web and that is dinner for geeks and if you ever ever listen to this show which is you know just one of those shows that that everybody has talked about at one time or another all across the the interwebs and yet every week when they were on you were getting a lot of discussion but you're also hearing all the background noises and music from oh, yeah. the restaurant and the waitress coming up and, and whatever and i i thought we actually had less background noise than they did and yet, you know, but still, yeah, it can be very uh, distracting uh, and all that. And it's not something that we do that often. Uh, more likely, we're going to do it as, as we, you know, as the movies come out. And hopefully we'll be able to do something after uh, The Last Jedi. Maybe get together and, and uh, yeah. talk about that yeah. one amongst us friends and see what we yeah. can, see what we think. Um, but, you know, it's just, you know, it, it's one of those things that we'd like to do from time to time. And comic book shops are always welcome to have us come in and, you know, do our shows in their shops. Uh, there's several around here, both uh, Collected and Sci-Fi Factory have said, hey, anytime you want to come in and record here, you're more than welcome. And, yeah, that's just better, more press for them. Yeah, and then we've got a couple mini-cons coming up in the next few weeks and months that uh, we definitely want to show up in and maybe do some recording there. Actually, there's a, a one coming up in Dallas that Jim Shooter... Mike Zach and John Beatty are going to be back. A Secret Wars reunion, if you will. I cannot tell you how excited I am to, that Mike Zach's going to be there. He's probably one of my top five favorite artists. He's one of my favorite cover artists. I don't know that, that I mean, you know, his day-to-day -day page art uh, gets me going as well as his cover work does. His cover work's great. To me, he always... Because he wasn't, he wasn't, he was very stylized, and to me that was what made it comic book art, like comic book art. Yeah. And I just, and maybe it's because I kind of discovered him on Secret Wars, and that's just a big, fun, goofy book. 
Uh, and then, of course, he did the uh, he did the, the great run on Cap, and he did the the that Punisher miniseries that clearly put the Punisher on the map. Yeah, the the five issues in the four issue miniseries. The four issue, <laughs> yeah, the five four issue. I yeah, that that always kills me. Um, but yeah, I I, uh, I mean I, I liked all that stuff a lot. Uh, I just thought that uh, well, I, and I guess Secret Wars is what probably what hurt it the most because they were on such a tight schedule and they're pushing to get all that out. And I think uh, you know again I hate to use the term the art was rushed, but that was a case where the art was rushed. And uh, you know John Beatty, of course uh, I don't know aside from. Uh, I know he inked a lot of Burn stuff uh, when Burn was working on Superman. Um, mm -hmm. But I can't think of anywhere else where I saw much of his art uh, or inking. Okay, so um, I'm going to break for just a moment here. February t uh, 10th through the 11th, right before my birthday, is a North Texas comic book show in Irving. And... Um, the guest list is here. Let me see the guest list because. So there, are they moving it to the Irving Convention Center? Because normally it's at the. Yeah, it's at the Irving. The Hyatt in Dallas. It's at the Irving Convention Center. Single day tickets are twenty dollars. Uh, kids eleven and under get in free. Two day passes are thirty dollars. Not bad. Um. Well, that's tickets. Where's the guest list? This show has really grown. I went to one about five years ago. Yeah. So, Six years ago, and it was just tiny. So as we discussed, Jim Shooter, Mike Zeck, John Beatty, Randy Amber Eberland, uh, who worked on uh, Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man, G.I. Joe, The Punisher, Batman, and The Avengers. Uh, he was part of the whole Carnage um, oh. storyline there. Um, but Mike Grell is going to be there. And I tell you... Oh. That's your boy. That's my boy. I tell you, I love me some Mike Grell uh, going all the way back to uh, Warlord, Legion of Superheroes. Uh, but his um, he did a James Bond book, uh, Permission to Die, which the first issue is one of those great comic book uh, representations of a movie character to me that that. It felt like every, you know, it felt like a great Bond story being put together. But uh, there's there's a lot of uh, interest, interesting things that went into the that series and the fact that it took a couple of years to actually get issues two and three out. But uh, I I love that first issue like like no other as far as like a, a Bond series. But his work on John Sable Freelance is what I probably enjoy more than anything. Uh, and with John Sable Freelance, you know, he was artist, you know, he was writer, artist and inker uh, for everything he did there. And of course, it was back at a time when printing was the flexographic type. And so the it hasn't aged well in, in that regards. I think uh, book reprints or trade paperbacks of those might look really, really gorgeous. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I I would definitely looking forward to meeting Mike Grell. Maybe I can get the Sutherlands to come town so they can uh, they can join us for that. And then Larry Hama, which if you know GI Joe, you know Larry Hama. And uh, I have to get him my uh, issue number fifty. I've got. Yep. Yep. And then of course he also was on uh, he was on an episode of Mash and he was on Saturday Night Live. 
But he's had a yes. he's had a huge body of work. I wonder if he was. I think he was. I made my memory maybe cheating. I thought he was at the first uh, Long Island convention when we went up to New York and met Paul and the rest hmm. a couple years ago. I don't know if he was there and I got his autograph on my island, Dr. Moreau, or I'm maybe thinking of somebody else. I don't know. Oh, here. I don't know. Here's another one. Joe Rubenstein. Ink, there you go. Inker extraordinaire. I mean, he's ink, he inked the Captain America issues that Byrne did. He inked, of course, the Wolverine miniseries with Frank Miller. Uh, he is, you know, one of those guys that, that was just a great workman anchor back in the day. And I, he's still busy today, as I understand it. That's good. But, uh, I mean, he just, you know, did some fantastic work on those guys. He didn't take anything away from their artwork. And, uh, you, but he also, he has his own style in there. You know, it's funny, you know, when you sit there and you think about Eddie Van Halen, you know how Eddie Van Halen's uh, guitar solo has always been termed the brown sound? Mm-hmm. T- to me, uh, Rubenstein's ink is kind of like the brown sound of inking because it's so distinctive. Um, and, and there was always something that made me think of the color brown. I don't know why. Even when it was inked in black and white, you know? Next, we got Michael Golden, which if uh, you've been in comic books, you know that Michael Golden was one of those guys that had rare appearances on books all over the place, but whenever he showed up, his artwork was beautiful. I think he did some of the first Star-Lord work, and uh, he actually worked on that same Star-Lord special that John Byrne and Chris Claremont worked on together. But uh, he's done a bunch of, you know, some good Spider-Man work, a couple annuals, I think Web of Spider-Man. But Mike, Michael Golden's artwork is uh, is beautiful to look at. Uh, Dan Frega, I don't know him. He's a an yeah. image '90s guy, I think. I could be wrong on that. Um, Kyle Holtz, Carnage, It's a Wonderful Life. I'm not familiar with him. Kevin Conrad, who did Kiss Psycho Circus. So hey, I'm gonna have to do do something there. <laughs> And, uh, oh, Renee Wittersatter. Now, she was the uh, editor at Marvel on the uh, Sensational She-Hulk. She was the editor that got Byrne to come back to that book for a number of issues. Oh, is that the one you were uh, considering interviewing? Um, uh, yeah. I mean, she would definitely be, definitely be a good get as far as an interview goes because, I mean, she, as I understand, she had to do some work to convince him. And he actually included her on the covers of the issues. So that's uh, interesting. And then, of course, uh, uh, Steve Irwin, who is a staple of a lot of shows here um, because he lives in the area, but he, of course, was co-creator of, of uh, Checkmate. He worked on Superman for a good bit, uh, but he also worked on Grim Jack, Deathstroke, and uh, comic adaptation of Batman Returns. But uh, Steve Steve Irwin is is another one of those great uh, comic book artists who you can't really take away from. He always had a, uh, I don't want to say distinctive style, but he was one of those artists you could always count on to, to have a a uh, consistent style. He he never yeah. seemed to have like a bad day. I won't say that he had a great day, but he never had a bad day. Does that make sense? 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised Kerry Gamble's not on that list because he's local and he usually shows up at all the. He was at the last year, the, stuff. the big Comic Con last year. Yeah. If I remember right, but um, I, I think he, I, I, I would kind of assume Kerry Gamble's a little burnt out on the conventions. Well, he does more, most of his stuff. You go to his table is not his comic stuff. It's more of his, his horror monster stuff. Because mm. he does storyboards, he does concept work. He does. He's big into the Universal monsters. He loves that. So. Yep. Yeah. All right. Uh, you want me to take this next one from John Hyatt? Yeah. Go ahead. I mean, there's okay. we got a bunch from John here. Now this one is from. Oh, I don't have the date on this one. The the next one was from. Uh, June twelfth of two thousand sixteen, but this one I'm not sure. This one, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, Title: Getting Burned. And it says from John Hyatt. Hello, Brian and Tim. Uh, I noticed you get top billing there. Uh, Here is the for once. Here is the prom. (laughs) Here is the promised email. Uh, Thank you both for for. I guess he means the, but he's got the thus podcast. Uh, along with George Perez, Mike Grell, and Neil Adam, John Byrne is among my favorite Bronze Age artists and writers. So a podcast devoted to his work is a delight. Uh, I am looking forward to discussions on titles I got as a kid and reread today. Reread today, titles from from then and later that I didn't read and his modern work. Uh, a little about my comic experience. Well, I hope it will be a little. Uh, I was a kid in the 70s and started reading them in 77. They opened a world of imagination and fun to me. Uh, I used to read uh, a French comic and then started to develop my interest and buy my own. My first comic I remember buying is Logan's Run number four. Mm. Oh, good comic. Uh, I always thought my first exposure to uh, John Byrne was X-Men 108, but thanks to my girl's amazing world of comics, uh, I found out that my first exposure to him was with Avengers 164. Oh, yeah. So next, yeah. We covered that so, in our first episode. That's our first one. So, X-Men 108 will, will be when I first identified his style and declared it as one of my favorites. That's funny. X-Men did the same thing for me. Uh, it's certainly it's certainly when Perez, uh, Avengers slash Logan Run, Logan's Run, and Grail, Legion of Superheroes, also uh, bubbled up. As my purchasing power, purchasing power grew and I got a variety of titles, I really started noticing artistic styles. Uh, I enjoyed Burns' preciseness and details of this era. I don't really mind the stock faces or hairstyles. I really enjoyed the attention to, uh, to detail and the amount of detail. Uh, his X-Men run is the very best on any X-Men book, uh, in my opinion. And I think you're absolutely right there. There's a lot of people share that opinion. Uh, so on to the podcast. It is nice to listen to a podcast created by fans of the era and who grew up with the books. It's a bit frustrating to listen to people uh, comment on stories, characters, and art with today's uh, perspective, perspectives and comparing to today's art styles and tastes. It seems like many of these uh, commentators do not understand the industry, the market, or the agreements in those days. By applying, by applying today's standards to, say, the 1940s, is that a fair comparison or review? Right. Uh, I enjoy how to, uh, I enjoy how you two approach the work from different angles. The story, uh, uh, the his art, his art tells his art, his the art tells a story. <laughs> Stylistic choices and some critiques. I do admit, though, the focus and time spent on the use of zipatone and panels gets a little tedious and lengthy at times. 
Uh-oh. We do get lengthy at times. Yes. Uh, whether he should have, whether he should have or shouldn't have, or how much is used, uh, it is what it is and what was available for the time and tools he had. Uh, I do try to remember these were real pencils and ink and paper were being used, no computer pads and Photoshop techniques for coloring and effects. But a great podcast and a nice variety of subjects so far. Uh, I'll use other emails to comment on episodes. Thank you for your time and work, John Hyatt. Well, thank you, John. That was very kind. Yeah, John, and, and believe me, I recognize how prolific you've been, not just writing to us in emails, but on Facebook and such. Uh, we do appreciate your, your coverage of us. And uh, just, again, you know, you've got another email here. You want to go ahead and take this one here? Uh, yeah. Okay, this one is titled Episode, uh, let's see. Oh, Episode 12 and 12.5, X-Men 120 and 121. Uh, looks like this is Jane, dated June 12, 2016. Uh, hi, Brian and Tim. Hey, I got top billing again. Thank you for covering these two issues. When I was a kid, these two issues did not make it to my newsstands for some reason. I finally subscribed, starting with issue 129. They eluded me for a long time, but I was finally able to get them. I had major maple leaf. I had major maple leaf. Okay, vindicator. First appearance in 109 and thought of a new team of mutants was so exciting. This was in the days when there weren't a million mutants in the world or 50X titles coming and going every other year. So anytime a new mutant, haha, showed up it was very exciting. You pointed out some things that didn't seem as obvious to me back then, such as, yeah, that storm that Shaman had created which got out of his control had to have affected the weather over a long distance. And Alpha Flight really did have little regard for civilians and damage. Yeah, I remember that. That was uh, that was definitely a, a very funny point. Going back to his email, I'm glad that you covered both issues to get the complete story, and you covered one issue per episode. At first, I was thinking, how can they stretch this out over two episodes and manage to make it interesting over both? But you did. After listening to both episodes, not back to back, but with some time in between, interesting points were brought up about each issue. I like that you pointed out about Sasquatch's incredible strength. It does seem like, for the visual, and a great visual it is, it was convenient he could do that even though it is beyond his power. And, you know, that's that's a really good point. Um, I think that, that, you know, looking at, at comic books the way that they've been done over the years, writers and artists have always taken a little liberty at, at how much someone's exact strength is. And I think that we got ruined by what I can can only say is a great publication of Ohatmu and uh, the, the, the second edition of course being the, the very good one it, though it gave us too much exact information on how strong everybody is and, well, yeah. and you know writers as they are you know there's, there's a couple types of writers but the thing is writers either are going to stretch something that someone gave before or they're going to give more to characters that they like better than others. But I don't think that was the case here with this. I think what Byrne was doing is what he was told to do, is basically give the X-Men a team that can that can meet them on equal standing. And so in doing that, he had to create a brick that's a very large, very strong, powerful character that's hard to hurt. And that was Sasquatch. And I thought those are called tanks. Is that the only called tanks in video games? Uh, bricks is a role-playing game term. 
Okay. So when we're, I've heard that, we're playing champions or villains and vigilantes back in the 80s, and that was the term they assigned to Colossus or characters like him. Okay. You know, it's funny because I had created my own kind of Colossus character for the game, and I actually went unconscious because I punched too much. <laughs> I actually punched myself out. He said that if I rolled any harder, I actually would have punched myself so hard that I died. And I said, that's impossible. Nobody would punch so much that they would die. <laughs> and then Superman punched so much that he died. So, you know, I stood corrected. So, <laughs> okay. Where, where am I at? Um, okay. Threads. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, yeah. Yeah. I got, I got you. One of the things, is that right? Is that where I'm picking up? Yeah, yeah. yeah. One of the things you pointed out that I also overlooked as a kid are the uses of speech between characters at times when they would never be able to hear each other, such as in 121 after they landed, when Vindicator on, is on the ground shouting, Wolverine, you have one minute to get out here, LOL, as if they could hear him from inside the plane, even without the storm raging around him, around them. Ah, how we just suspend some things to get let the dialogue proceed. That's why they call it the willing suspension of disbelief. Yep. That's... We, you've got to be willing to let some things go in order for the story to move on. And, you know, the thing is, I think that's something that is, there's this permeable tissue on every viewer when they go to the movies today that says, yeah, I'm going to accept that a man can fly and can hide his identity behind a pair of glasses. But if one woman screams out in front of a, a couple police officers his secret identity, I'm going to think his identity is blown for the world. <laughs> but, you know, again, people can complain about anything. I actually thought that was a valid complaint, though, about Lois shouting out his name is Clark in front of the cops. She probably shouldn't have done that. But no. for the movie, for that moment, I'm going to let it slide. That's part of that willing suspension of disbelief. I'm just going to let it go. Great coverage of the two episodes and for bringing uh, in a bit about the Alpha Flight book that would come just a few years later. Another thing that became a bit more odd was the relationship of Scott and Colleen. In our world, I think it had been a year since the Magneto story. I think the X-Men was still bi-monthly for part of that time. <coughs> Excuse me. In the X-Men time, Gene and Beast were thought dead for only a few weeks at most. And there he is, snuggling and cuddling Colleen. When they were reunited, it was surely an awkward situation. Colleen probably crapped her pants when Jean became Dark Phoenix. <laughs> Remember what happened to Kitty and that what if? Phoenix had lived issue? Oh my gosh, I hadn't thought about that in a long time. Uh, when she pissed Jean off, she's lucky Jean was distracted. <coughs> yeah, that that's, uh, you know, Colleen could have been sitting in her apartment, sharpening her sword, and all of a sudden, pile of ashes. Yeah. Moving on. Uh one of the things I really liked about the Claremont Burn Austin era is the big story followed by an issue of two or two downtime or a minor event. The character development was excellent during this time and really helped us love the characters even more. Thanks for an excellent episode and coverage of just one of my favorite X-Men stories, John Hyatt. And, you know, I always liked those, those downtime uh, issues as well. I liked it. Uh, when we saw it in X-Men, I liked it when we saw Roger Stern doing it in Spider-Man. In fact, it got me, you know, that, that was one of the things that um, got me in, back involved in reading some of the, the Peter Parker stories was how Roger Stern would uh, sit there and show Peter 
paying bills, doing his homework, shaving, and washing his clothes. And years later, I'm going, what the heck am I sitting here doing? I'm sitting here wanting to read about the mundane stuff when it's, you know, the fighting the supervillains I should be sitting there wanting to see. Yeah, that's what makes a character, I mean, it makes them relevant. It makes them relatable. Exactly. And then it's a good character if you want to spend as much time with Peter Parker as you do Spider-Man. Yes. And that's that's the, the point of all this. And that's, you know, one of the things that Byrne and, and uh, Claremont did really, really well here. And Byrne did in his later stories, Fantastic Four. He tried to show us the mundane settings, even taking him out of, you know, New York and putting him. Where did he put him in? Forest Hills, or no? That's that's where Peter's from. That's Peter. Yeah, but Ooh. you know, he took oh. took him out into the suburbs, and and uh, of course, it didn't go well. But <laughs> no. But it was good to see them try that to to, to try all that. Anyway, that, no, those, those are good points, John. I really appreciate yeah. that. He has, a, he has a PS. Oh, he does have a PS. I'm looking forward to the, the Green Lantern episode. This is a story I've never uh, never read, and we'll write more later. It's been so long since episode one, I may have to have another listen. Those were favorite issues of Avengers you covered as well as the Cap story so much. Thanks. And and thank you, John. And, you know, um, I, I, I need to go back and listen to that Green Lantern episode because I'm still to this day... Uh, aside from basically the deconstruction of the beginning of the universe that uh, that they did there, I really don't know what they were trying to pull off in that story. They, there's still some something in that that eludes me. I think it it kind of eluded us a little bit, you know, in in our recap of it. What do you think, Tim? It's a, it's a little bit. I mean, I, I think. I think I, I got more of it the second reading than when I read it when I first bought it. But uh, I think because uh, that's and I should know this. That's uh, Neil Gaiman, uh, right? No, not Neil Gaiman. No, no, no. Larry Niven. Larry, Larry Niven. Niven. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. it was Larry Niven basically backed up the, the the physics and certain aspects of the story. Byrne wrote it though, um, which makes sense because he's a Niven's a, a hard sci-fi writer. So right. Um, and, but I mean, still with what he, what what he did there, and I, I walked away from it. You know, even after our discussion on it, thinking, you know, I don't know that I entirely got this one. And I, I may I'm going to have to go back and read it again and listen to our show and see, you know, did we really figure this it, out? It's I think it's a little bit like the uh, we got into in the second part of our OMAC, where he does a lot of time travel and kind of alternate uh, alternate you know. Uh, universes or alternate takes on the, the same events, yeah. the timelines really screw it. You really had to kind of bend your head around it to try to understand how he was. And when you kind of understood it, it was clever the way he kind of took what Kirby had done and melded that to I, his own version of I it. I have a friend's reference that explains all this. <laughs> it's Joey in England. I'm going to have to step into the map. <laughs> okay, I'll let that go now. Okay, so uh, moving on, we've got some Facebook responses. And starting with that, you want me to get this or you want to get this? Uh, you take first and I'll take. Okay, Mike Zomo from the Man on Screen podcast, and he's also one of my co-podcasters on the Fear the Walking Dead cast. Hey, Mike, how's it going? Okay. Uh, hey, guys, just wanted to address one of the things you guys mentioned on your show. First, thanks for talking about it uh, for a bit. They're much appreciated. Now, what he's talking about is, as we were actually talking about his podcast, the Man on Screen podcast, because we were curious about 
what all he is going to cover on his show. Because he, at that point, yeah. he had covered the uh, Kirk Allen uh, serials and Cereal. the George Reeves, of course, uh, Adventures of Superman. So uh, he says here, I do plan to discuss Superboy when I get to it eventually down the road. I love that show, especially the last two seasons. And those are the Gerard Christopher uh, seasons, which were finally out on uh, DVD and Blu-ray, I believe. He goes, I have obtained all four seasons. You can find anything on the net. And going back to that, the uh, earlier, in order to be able to get these seasons, you actually had to go to Gerard Christopher's website and buy them from him. But now they're uh, available through Warner Brothers. They're ready yeah. So they, I, I believe they've been uh, cleaned up a little bit and put on um, Blu-ray and DVD. So, and also, I don't believe Jar Christopher is able to sell them anymore. I don't think he's allowed to um, sell them. Right into the rights, yeah. yeah. Uh, and of course, you know, with DC securing all the rights of Superman uh, the way that they did, I think that also is why all that covers Superboy. Yeah, that that covers Superboy. Uh, okay, so. I'm uh, now uh, into the color George Reeves episodes, and I'm not sure who uh, has the prints for the Fleischer cartoons. I believe that they are public domain. That is correct. However, only the first nine were done by the Fleischers, which is why those are the ones that get released all the time. Great show, guys. I love the listen. It reminds me uh, I still need to read Generations 2 and 3. Now, he's talking about the episode where we did our top five lists. Right. And I think that's probably what uh, did garner a lot of uh, a lot of resp- or at least some good responses from uh, some of our listeners. Um, next one comes from David Thompson. Did I get that right? Is it David Thompson or yeah, it is David Thompson. Okay, it's Thompson. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think I, I made a mistake and, and said Johnson in one of our podcasts. Yeah, he, he mentions that and he mentions he mentions that in his, his oh, response. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> hey, Brian and Tim. Hey, I got Todd Billing again. Okay. Uh, this is David Thompson on our Superman number one coverage. Another great episode on Burn the Giant Size show had me entertained from beginning to end. The longer runtime was fine by me because Superman number one is a historically important issue in DC publishing. Because Burns' template to Superman is followed today. And, uh, you know, I couldn't agree more. And I actually have a Justice League um, comment to make about uh, Superman in there in regards to Burn. But we'll get back to that a little later, okay? Um, you, we joke about Burns' Superman is my Superman. But it's true. Burns' template of character traits, super abilities, endurance, and stamina he lays out over 16 issues of Superman Volume 2 is, by and large, the same Superman that exists today. Yes, there have been tweaks here and there, some writers over-underpowering him or trying to change his look, but those wide deviations never stick. The core elements burn set in place are circled back to and, and generally followed. This is the Superman I grew up on and still think is the best. Unfortunately, the importance of Superman's canon is often overlooked now it was 30 years since this was on the stands. Even with all that praise said, Burns' Superman number 1 is not a flawless issue, and you pointed out the few missteps here and there which I won't rehash. All are forgivable and don't heavily detract from the overall enjoyment. Unlike Golden or Silver Age Superman, I think if you put Burn put a Burn Superman trade into current readers' hands, most would find it familiar and enjoyable. Yes, some of the dialogue may elicit a cringe, and the art in some places isn't digitally perfect. Same for the hand lettering, which I love. But it's still relatable, familiar Superman. Two side notes. 
Number one, was that a Richard Dawson running man line I heard in there? And number two, who is this David Johnson guy you think at the end? <laughs> Keep up the great work. Okay, um, I'm not sure what he means by the Richard Dawson line. The Richard Dawson, we had, because uh, I edited that show, we had some kind of a problem uh, with the, a glitch or a garble or a gerb or something. Uh-huh. And I added in, uh, and what you know, in The Running Man, when at the end of the movie, when they break in, Richard Dawson says, you know, uh, Sorry, folks, we're having technical difficulties. <laughs> and the old lady stopped, you know, steps up and says, you know, BS. So I, I stuck that in there because we had a little problem with the recording. Oh, so well, that's, great. That's, that's what he's referring to. That. Yeah. Okay. You know, but as far as um, as far as the burn Superman thing goes today, I, you know, of course, uh, since this is this email came in, you know, they've done rebirth. Uh, I haven't read much of it, but I understand that they they're doing a really good job. On making Superman super again, making him. That's what I've that's what I've heard that they're really they're really digging into uh, what Byrne did. They're kind of they're kind of harking back to to that. I haven't read it either because I'm not reading anything. Okay, and so uh, now we're going to take a moment and talk about Justice League for just a second, and I'm going to give my tie back to John Byrne from Justice League. Just a spoiler. Um, well, I mean, it's it's a scene in the movie. Uh, I guess okay. I guess we can call it a spoiler. Um, there is a scene where he and the Flash have gone off to save civilians in Russia, and you know, Flash is pushing this truck along to get it away from what's coming, and he's feeling good about what he's done. And then he turns to his right and looks and sees Superman carrying an entire apartment building. <laughs> he's underneath the building and flying it. Now, what that says to me right there is that Superman's powers are once again the burn psionic based, psionic based the description yeah. where basically because he's touching it, he's you know making that part of that electrochemical field around him that makes him invulnerable. And this would also explain how he and Lois can have sex. Because if he was just the super strong, super invulnerable, super powerful, gigantic crystal thing, you know that that he'd been written as for so many years. And I, I, I throw crystal there just as an example of if Superman was really super dense, yeah, you know, that he would be like a very hard material, like, like Chris, like a diamond or something. But by having it, him work off this type of physics, it gives him regular flesh and blood and, and all that. And we've seen that. But, you know, how does, you know, the, 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 the electrochemical field, the psionic uh, ability of tactile telekinesis, as I'll refer to it, uh, being able to lift something with his mind, even though he's doing it physically with his body, uh, seems to make more sense in, uh, in, in, in the way he did that, especially, you know, just lifting that building is a practical demonstration of it. Well, I think that's just a, a way to explain something that has been going on in comics since their exactly uh, since their their beginning. That you know you didn't you know because you know at that time comics were for kids and you know you didn't think well he's going to pick up a building. They didn't they weren't worried about the the actual physics like well this obviously this thing would crumble around us up it can't support itself. Right, and who so that's where a, did Burn <clears throat> touch that subject? Uh, he. Is it the uh, in action comics with the Phantom Stranger? Go back uh, before he was on Superman. Since before he was on, oh, you talking about when he talking about with uh, Gladiator? Exactly. 
Yeah, yeah, Gladiator's got that. Yeah, but it was the Gladiator <laughs> story, Man and Superman, uh, Fantastic Four issues 249 and 250. 50. Where Reed was actually able to deconstruct Gladiator's power and realize that he wasn't just doing it all through physical strength and all that. He was doing it through, you know, psionic, psionic power. Because he'd lifted a building up by its corner and the building didn't just crumble under its own weight. Yeah. And it's well. That that was yeah. His way to he thought that if he could get him to doubt himself, that would make him vulnerable. Exactly. And but that was also the basis of Superman's powers. If you read those issues, even the Marv Wolfman issues, if Superman wasn't thinking clearly, if he was confused or having a bad time or you know been hurt by something, his power was lessened, even his invulnerability. And, you know, super, I mean, there was an issue of uh, Adventures of Superman where Superman actually got knocked out by Mammoth of the Fearsome Five. Or Fatal Five, or whatever those Marvel Wolfman creative villains were. They were the ones that fought the Teen Titans all the time. Mm-hmm. And So are you po- positing that if Superman could be... If he was distracted... If he, or if he was hypnotized that he didn't know he was Superman. Well, and that's exactly what happened to him in the Legends crossover that that took place in Action Comics and Adventures of Superman. When Darkseid... He goes to Apocalypse? Yeah. yeah, when Granny Goodness had him thinking he was Darkseid's son, he, was, he couldn't make full use of his powers. It wasn't until the Mother Box cleared his mind that he was actually able to use his powers at his full strength. And, I mean, it makes perfect sense to me because his powers are based on his mind. And, yeah. and once in in the adventures of Superman, when he was fighting against the, the Fearsome Five, once he, he just had so much going on, his mind was just like Swiss cheese. He was having a real hard time reconciling everything. He went back to Smallville, saw Ma Pa Kent, and they put everything in perspective for him. And then he went back and just so easily handled Mammoth and the Fearsome Five. It wasn't any trouble. You know, I mean, he basically, you know, did it with his his eyes closed. And that that it basically showed that, that, you know, his, the upper level of his power was based just on clearly how well his mind was working. That's, I will say that this is another spoiler for um, Justice League, kind of. The one scene that I really enjoyed was when Superman is first resurrected and he's kind of zombie Superman. He doesn't quite know. Yeah. Uh, where he's at, and he's fighting all the other heroes, uh-huh. and you get a really good sense of just how powerful he is. When he's just kind of shrugging off most of the stuff they're doing, he's, you know, Wonder Woman throws that the lasso around him, and he's just, and she starts pulling, and he starts pulling her back, and just, and just, I love it when, you know, you really get to see how, because he, Superman really never cuts loose. No. no, he doesn't. And you get to see a sense of just how powerful he is yeah you know the this the moment when the flash is coming and then you know superman sitting there with all those guys holding on to him and you just see his eye he sees him yeah start to turn that's probably <laughs> my favorite scene in that whole movie um and in just enjoyable now let me ask you did you watch crisis on earth x the, uh, the, the berlanti show supergirl flash Legends of Tomorrow and Arrow. No, because I, I can't see. Uh, that's current. That's, that's going on right now, right? Uh, it was last week. 
Yeah, I can't. I don't. Can I take Flash off Hulu so I can't see until the season's over? Uh, so I can't watch it. So I'm still watching season three or four. Can I tell you it's a, a, a little bit of fun that they did in that? Yeah, you can tell. You can. I'll watch well, it anyway. But you. Can, I mean, basically, you know that who the villains are in this. Um. No, because like I said, I'm... They're, they're uh, basically Nazi-based versions of the Berlantiverse heroes. So oh, okay. Supergirl is like a general in their army. And she's flying around in a black Nazi costume with an SS symbol on the... You know, where, where the S is. And and uh, she wears this mask. And anyway, so that a lot of stuff goes on. And then our Supergirl comes up, flies up to the window right in front of the, the general, and she goes, General, would you care to step outside? Step outside. <laughs> nice, nice, nice callback. Yes, great, great geek cast. <laughs> that, that, was, that was a lot of fun. They're really doing those shows right in a lot of ways. I mean, they're doing them for TV. They're doing them for a younger audience, you can tell. But they're giving the older fans a lot, uh, the right amount of fan service. They're not pandering to us. They're they're not you know just sitting there going see see we're doing this they're really um, you know, giving you a, a you know a lot of things I mean they give the Christopher Reeve stuff but you know they're 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 just having a lot of fun with this anyway and I think that's the thing yeah they're um, um, they're just they're being true to the character and they're just having fun doing it yes. yeah and I'm liking every minute of it okay um, now. The next thing, uh, or this, we're about almost to the last bit. Uh, I'll read uh, John Hyatt's here if you want to get Mike. Okay, okay. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> this is uh, something John posted about our format. Um, what would be nice is if you could do a few issues of firsts. Rather than to spend an hour or two going over each and every panel, perhaps pull up a few and just talk about them. Uh, as an overview review without going into minute detail. This could be a series of topics or a three or four part series, such as pick something in the books that show his, uh, his range, such as Space 1999, Doomsday uh, Plus One for his Charlton works, Iron Fist and X-Men 108 for the beginning of his Marvel work, Batman Untold Legend for his DC work, or Superman. Uh, next men Trio, Star Trek for Independence, maybe a couple of his... Writer artists like FF and Sensational She-Hulks, Doom Patrol, Generations, etc. to show how his styles changed and adapted over the years and in different projects. Just a thought. <clears throat> and I think we've kind of done that a little bit this year. This year was supposed to be a year of first. And a first, of yeah, we've done a lot of... We get a little sidetracked here and there. But I think that, you know, the continuing on, and we don't necessarily have to do a theme for each year, uh, but we will definitely... Um, I guess say pander to events that are going on around us if we can. Uh, yeah, we try to do some some as they say coattail writing uh, episodes. Yeah, um, but uh, you know we got like and again we were t discussing earlier doing a Christmas episode covering the She-Hulk uh, Christmas issue, which uh, I think would be good. Yeah, that'd be fun. But uh, that you know that being said, uh, you know what. I keep giving a lot of thought to what people are saying about us covering covering the issues in minute detail, and I'm just trying to figure out how we can curtail that without detracting. And I guess we'll just have to sit there and work at it a little bit more because we do get 
I mean, we do get into minute detail, and this goes yeah, all the way back yeah. to our first ish, first episode when we covered that three issue Avengers arc. We, but but it, but what? Yeah, but think about that. We carried we covered three issues in the same length that usually we we, we started covering one issue for. So we've done, you know, and we did OMAC. We did four issues in two shows, yeah. so uh, we can we can do a, a tighter show. Yeah. But um, I think we uh, you know we get a little or a little bit tangenty and. And we just do get kind of caught up on, uh, on uh, instead of doing an overview. We'll see. Okay. Yeah. It's it's a work in progress. That's true. Uh, okay, I'll take the next one. This is from Michael. <clears throat> Pardon me, Alan Carlisle, a friend of yours. Oh, Mike, um, Mike's been a guest on the show. Yes, he has. He's been on. He was on Fantastic. Was he on the Fantastic Four? And we helped him move. That's right. That's right. I helped he, him move some of his stuff. No, he was on the uh, Batman v Superman uh, roundtable. I thought he was on something else too. And I, I think he was on the pre-show and the post-show. Okay, yeah. for that. Okay. And he does his own. Is he still doing his own? He's doing his own blog. The crap. The son of box the, of yeah, the crap box of the son of Cthulhu, I believe. Cthulhu. And that's uh, it's a really enjoyable. Uh, blog where he basically tears apart any and every comic book that he bought at half price books. Uh, it's typically usually really, really bad stories, but he shows just how bad they are. <laughs> and yes, he's covered burn and there he covered a, an issue of babe and was very oh. nice to mention us. Oh, nice. Okay. Michael uh, says, seriously, I'm about, this is on, uh, our Wonder Woman coverage. Yeah. Uh, he says, seriously, I'm about 75% done with it. Uh, you point out lots about the art, but so far haven't addressed my main gripe, which was that uh, Diana has no real character in this. It is, uh, it is fairly male-centric in that there are no females uh, in the book. It is, it is telling a Superman story glossed over with Wonder Woman paint. And while Byrne might have been feeling around for a story idea, as you suggest... Don't you think that should occur before going to press? Uh, one point you brought up that did spark a thought was uh, was the mid-1990s when everyone was getting a paycheck for throwing anything out there. Uh, I can show you dozens of books from the image line around the time that lasted less than eight issues uh, that had a similar feel as this. Very little plot, scantily clad women with long hair that were rendered pretty poorly when you pay attention to pay attention to them. Uh, you mentioned Byrne might be aping uh, Liefeld's style. Perhaps he was. Perhaps this was a, a book to keep the lights on, or he saw the others on the spinner rack and thought, I can uh, toss some trash out like that, if that's what audience are going for. Uh, we know both he and Peter David were watching the image evolution uh, at the time from their uh, articles. Perhaps he decided to make a paycheck from uh, the majors while exploring the cheapo first first year image style of book uh, it would pose little risks to him and he still have his other books with the independence that he was pouring his real effort into all in all I don't I didn't like it it ranks at the bottom bottom two of all the Wonder Woman books in the crap box which is sad since I really like burn usually you know um, I, the thing is that this was just the very first issue of burns run on Wonder Woman that we covered and I've continued to read on into the series. Um, I think I'm about 19 issues in at this point. And 
what I would say is that, you know, definitely what, you know, we were very critical of that, that first issue and for, for good reason. And the, the Liefeld comet was only about one panel. It yeah. was only about one, one panel. The rest of the book did not really ape I, his, his artwork, uh, that, that I recall. The later issues, you know, definitely get better rounded out. And he even stated in his columns that it took him a few issues to find the Wonder Woman he needed to write about. And yeah. you can see that definitely in the first couple issues. He was still trying to figure it out. But after a while, he got into a good area. And, you know, he definitely used the the, the supervillains of the day, but he also used the mythology. Uh, he really kept so much in there. And then he introduced new characters that we hadn't seen before and gave us some long-lasting characters in, the, in, in that run as well. And he turned things up on end as far as yeah. Diana and, and, and uh, Hippolyta and all them are concerned. So, you know, it, uh, I don't know how far you've read into the, uh, the series, Mike, but it's definitely, definitely bears taking a look at uh, as far as his work goes. Is it his best work? I don't think so. I think that, that this was definitely at a time where he was really struggling with uh, his inner demons of, you know, comic book creation. I, I think that, that, he wasn't coming up with anything new. So I think he felt like he was treading, you know, same old ground. So it didn't bring out the best in his creativity, but still what he put there was better than what 80% of the other guys out there were doing. Oh, I agree. I've, I've read ahead. I know we covered that first one. That was the first time I've read that issue, but I've read about eight more issues in and it does pick up. It gets, it gets better. So I would say, Mike, go ahead and give the rest of it a try. Mm-hmm. You want to take the next one from Paul Tuma? Paul Tuma. Now, Paul is uh, he's a writer out there. I think he's um, a political writer and cartoonist. Um, and he's friended me on Facebook, and he's a very funny guy. Uh, if if you you know uh, don't mind some politically absurdic wit, which uh, you know we're all fans of absurdic wit, but uh, you know it just depends on on how it's aimed properly. Uh, you know, check him out. Uh, now, what Paul's uh, talking about, he's talking about our Superman number one coverage. And he goes, Superman number one was amazing, in my opinion. It's too bad DC didn't make fuller potential of this Terminator-esque incarnation of Metallo. Well, Alex Ross did later, but uh, that's another story. True. <laughs> well, that's really it, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that's it. Yeah, what, what I'm talking about there, and I, I think I mentioned it in that, that episode, was that Alex Ross, while working at, uh, was it? Top Cow Comics, or uh, but he was working for another comic book company. His first comic book work was a Terminator series called The Burning Earth, mm-hmm. and he actually aped several of the panels in Superman number one of Metallo for a Terminator that was shot up against a wall and then looking up uh, into the shadows, as you know, what we saw actually happen to Metallo when the police shot him up against the wall. And then he mm-hmm. finally got up for the wall, and then Lex Luthor, whatever Luthor had sent, picked Metallo up from the sky and then put the shadow over him. So uh, it was, it's it's you know funny that he uh, mentioned that. I've kind of wanted to seek out how you get it in a trade to to seek out the Burning Earth. Uh, I know the the original the issues are a little pricey, but uh, I think I have. Like, I, I think I do them. have those. Uh, I think I have them digitally, so I'll, I'll take a look at that. Okay. Cool. 
and let's see, what do we got next? You want to get this? Um, we'll get next one is another one from John Hyatt. And is this an email or is this a message to you? It's an email, wasn't it's it? It's email. Okay. Hello, Brian and Tim. Uh, I guess you're always going to be at the head. Okay, so here is an email, not really about a specific episode, but just to chat about burn stuff to discuss. Uh, I seem to recall you asking what we liked probably early on, and now you don't need input, but got to offer anyway. Oh, we always need input. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, so I'm a Bronze Age comic fan, really. Uh, love DC and Marvel from that era, 69 to 85. That is a Bronze Age for me, and I and if I can only read the read and reread those comics for the rest of my life, I'm happy. Don't get me wrong, there are comics I dabble in since and have enjoyed. Burn, Superman, Wonder Woman, Doom Patrol, Perez, Avengers, etc. But my go-to is Bronze. So I'd love to hear, and if you need an enthusiastic guest, a Burn Invader series. Uh, so he's suggesting Captain America 253, 54, Namer 10, 11, 12. Uh, I know it's five issues and they aren't directly related, but it, it, is, in his t it is his take on that great team. Maybe instead of five episodes, you can do it in two, cap one, and a point five for Namer series. Mm. It's interesting. Yeah. It's, the, it's an interesting idea to compare, you know, not related books, but just kind of the, the feel of it or his take on them. True. Of course, you would have to talk a little about the Invader series just for the background, which I loved. And yes, shame, shamelessly offering myself to you. Right? We, all, we always like guests. Uh, where is it? Uh, I am one of the few, I think, few anyway, who likes the, the Burn Doom Patrol. Um, um, and would, I think it's supposed to be Anne, and would love to hear some of, about that series, either as a whole or broken down. And we do plan on covering that because I've, I've finally collected all of them, but I've never read any of them. Yeah, same thing. So same I'm kind of interested. It's like his. Uh, um, Blood the Demon. <clears throat> I want to cover that because I've never read that. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, the JLA story, The Tenth Circle by Claremont slash Byrne, 9499, which introduced the Doom Patrol. Really cool. Of course, there is the Yesterday's Quest, Scarlet Witch slash Quicksilver. Is that from uh, West Coast Avengers? No, that was uh, Avengers uh, like 184 and 185. Oh, okay. And that, and that was that, that, that great era where you had like uh, Mark Grunewald and uh, David Michelinie and others were all chipping in to write Avengers stories. And it was that, cool. that 10 issue series from 181 to 191 that uh, Byrne did the artwork on. Oh, cool. Uh, other Avengers issues. Uh, oh, other Avengers. Yeah. Uh, Champions 1 through 17, 11 through 17, excuse me. Wow, what a great run on this book. So sad it didn't uh, save the book from cancellation. It was really starting to improve. Trio, his uh, his three-issue attempt at recreating the magic of the Fantastic Four uh, might have been better if he had a shared universe to work with and more time to develop the characters. Uh, Fantastic Four runs, of course, I think. Doing anything in, on the Frankie Ray story would be great. The Galactus story was great, too. His Wonder Woman run... Uh, I love his JSA issues and the Donna Troy story. Uh, I'm not really interested in the Star Trek stuff, though I would listen listen to the episodes I might, but though when yeah, yeah. when I when I listen to the episodes I might try it. I think discussing Generations would be awesome. I haven't read Generations three, but really liked one and two. 
I think that if we get around to generations, that we need to make that like an event. You know, not just us. We bring in other freaks and such. Yeah. Because uh, I, I know there are others that got things to say about one aspect or another of that. And I think that, that we could make a really interesting format based on the years rather than the issues. True. True. So. Uh, he continues, X-Men Hidden Years... But this is a difficult because the series was like several plot points concurrently rather than story arcs that occurred in issue or multi-issue parts. I wasn't a fan of this style. I prefer a story that takes one to three issues to tell. Uh, running subplots and characters developments are great, but this format just seemed to be using the book to tell three or four stories in a newspaper strip format that ran the length of the title. Uh, it's, a, it's a style adjustment, but may not... But I may not like after the next read. Well, I think he was really trying to, to to move in on that Roy Thomas Neil Adams storytelling style that he it you know basically carried over from the those original X Men books. Yeah. And of course it was very similar to what, you know, the style that he and Claremont had in those early X Men days. You know, there was always multiple storylines rolling oh, around. Yeah, Cla- you know, that Claremont would be. I mean, Claremont was was so bad that sometimes you'd have to you'd read a, a, an issue the next month, you read it again, you'd have to kind of need a recap because he had so many, like he said, so many plot lines running along. Right. Uh, which I liked because it made it very soap opera like. But that to me that that helped me get to know the characters more and care about them more. So I, I mean, I know his. Compared to now, his writing was is super, super dense, but uh, I, I appreciate it. Uh, okay, he uh, continues. Anyway, enough for now. Okay, going to sign off. I just want to say thanks for this podcast. I really do enjoy it. Enjoy you guys. I wish we could hang out in person to talk comics. If you're coming to San Diego to Comic-Con, let me know. I would love to meet you. Best regards, John San Diego. Thanks, John. Well, I'd love to go to San Diego Comic-Con if I could ever get tickets. All right, and what do we have next? Nice to know he's from San Diego. i got a lot of family out there. Oh, there you so, go. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that I'll ever get to a Comic-Con. I mean, it just, I don't, right now I couldn't afford it even if I wanted to, but uh, it just seems to have gotten so big. It's almost impossible to get tickets. I mean, literally almost impossible you, to get tickets. You have to buy them a year in advance, and, you know, it, it just seems like you'd have to mortgage your home in order to be able to, to do anything. My company puts on Comic Con, and I can't even can't even get out there. Crazy, crazy. Yeah. Okay, so uh, is this is this yeah this is the last one, but this is also John, and this is uh, a good one because he's talking about our top five lists. Okay, hi guys, I'm so glad to have you back. I don't read the Star Trek comics, but it was still interesting to have your comments and and have you back. Okay, so I'm responding to your request for a couple top fives. I'm not sure if you want to comment as to why I like them, so I won't for now. But if you do, just let me know. I'll be happy to revisit and respond with that. Top five run with Byrne, either as an artist, writer, or both. Not necessarily in order, except for which are my number one picks. X-Men number 107 through 143. Well, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Fantastic Four 233 through 293. Yep. Iron Fist 1 through 15. Superman. Captain America. His alternates, of course, are Avengers, Alpha Flight, and Doom Patrol. And, you know, I've I, I not read the Doom Patrol stuff. I want to, but I want to go back and read that Claremont Byrne uh, JLA story. 
And because I, I remember reading it when it first came out, but I didn't really get into it. I think I was just like, it's too Claremonty, you know, too <laughs> wordy. Yeah. And as I'm getting older, I'm like, okay, how about less words and more pictures? You know. <laughs> but uh, I can't say that. that you know, if the story is good enough, I, sh- I shouldn't have a problem with that. But uh, I don't know. We'll see. Top five stories with Burn: Dark Phoenix, X Men one thirty through one thirty seven. Baron Blood, Captain America, 253 through 254. Yesterday's Quest, Avengers 185-187. Invaders Return from Namor, the Submariner, 10 through 12. Knight of the Living God, Marvel Team Up, 69-70. That's the uh, Living Monolith story, isn't it? The uh, team up with, yes. with Havoc and then team up with Thor. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And, uh, yeah, that's really, really good stuff. I mean, of course, uh, when Byrne was on Marvel Team-Up, they were really getting the best out of him at the time. Uh, you know, the Namor, the, the Submariner story with uh, the Invaders, and I'm trying to remember the villains' names, but uh, they, they escaped me. And I'd read that, like, within the last few months. Was it the, uh, weren't there two twins? The yeah. Brother and sister, the Ferris. Yeah, yeah, the the, the Ferris. Nazi, what, yeah, and yeah. and I think the thing was is that the villains just weren't compelling to me, and they were he kept doing things with Namor that I just wasn't you know, I wasn't a fan of. You know, the first thing he does is he gets rid of his little wings on the legs, you know, that allows him to fly. But I understand he wanted to make him have to really work for everything, and those like those wings took uh took that you know. No, the first thing yeah, I thought the first thing. I mean, I enjoyed the run, but I thought it was odd that the first thing he does, he he's like, "Well, I've got all this treasure that's at the bottom of the ocean. I'm just going to grab it all up and I'm going to go a businessman." Yep. And he opened Oracle and just you know. Yep. Yep. Okay. Crazy. So, uh, alternate daughters of the dragon Marvel team up. That of course we covered the uh, yep. that that story. Uh, Iron, yep. Iron, Iron Fist. Yeah. Trial of Galactus. Uh, you know, the thing is, anytime Burn handled Galactus, whether it was the issue where he came, the issues where he came to Earth and the Avengers and Fantastic Four fought him, or the Trial of Galactus, uh, I think that you know, next to Lee and Kirby, nobody handled him better. And uh, I, I agree. There. I do think it was a shame how the last Galactus story got so screwed up with the epic line. And that we never got him to finish that story. Of course, he'll not revisit it. He won't go back and and uh, and do it. Though if, he, it, if no. you go back on his website, he does tell you what the plot line was for it, so you can at least see how he planned on doing it. But man, I just would love to have seen it. <laughs> you know, uh, top five X Men stories: the debut of the Dazzler. And that's interesting because you know the Dazzler was really someone that was thrown at Claremont and Byrne and said, here, you need to put her in the uh, X-Men books. You know, we want to get in on this disco craze. Right. She was, yeah, she was a response to what was going on. Yeah. Uh, in society. And they, you know, they're, they're, but to, to, to see where she's gone, where she went from a roller skating disco singer to where she is now. Yeah, yeah, and we might actually see, we might actually see a Dazzler movie over the next few years. But you know, mark my words. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny, but you know, when I sit there now, every time I think of an editorial edict, I think of uh, Lawrence Fishburne as Perry White walking around, going, "You're writing this today. 
story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Daughters of the Dragon in Central Park. Do we have a problem with women gangs? Okay. Uh, let's see. Days of Future Past, 141, 142. Yep. Demon, 143. Now, uh, am I assuming this is Blood of the Demon? No, this is the X-Men issue. Demon, where Kitty Pride faces off against the Nagar. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, that's kind of a favorite of yours, isn't it? I, I really do like that one. Of course, it, it really plays upon the whole, you know, Kitty Pride is is basically a model of Sigourney Weaver. And it, yeah, the, 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 it's a... Uh, is it a brood that's after, or is it just an alien? No, it's, it's one of the Nagari demons. In an earlier issue of the X-Men, yeah. uh, Storm fought at this temple and she blasted it with lightning. She thought she'd gotten everything, but uh, one of them got out and went to the X mansion after killing some mm. people. Uh, mind games, Magneto triumph at X-Men 111 through 113. Uh, just pure classic uh, Slavage land 115, 116. I mean, those are just, you could sit there and, and just say the entire Claremont burn run on X-Men. Yeah, yeah you can't. There's yeah, it's not like, a <laughs> stinker in there. There, I mean, you know, there's just not a bad issue in, in the issues that they did together. Um, now, there was an issue where, what was the name of that guy that went in and planted the stuff in the X-Men's mansion for the, the uh, inner circle? Uh, you know who I'm talking about? The Colossus ripoff? Uh, it, it, it was a uh, fill-in issue, though. I mean, it was different artists that did it. Byrne, Byrne did not do the artwork. I don't even know if Claremont wrote it. And uh, it's it's blanking on me. Because if you go back and, and look at any of the omnibus, I think they actually skipped that issue as well. Interesting. Anyway, so uh, he says, so those are my suggestions. I look forward to you guys covering some of these stories. If you ever want a fellow fan to talk Bronze Age Burn, I'm here for you. Hope things work out uh, to get back on schedule. I really like listening to the podcast. Thank you for your time and efforts. John Hyatt from San Diego. And that is the last of the feedback that I pulled. Now, um, there have been some other like Facebook notes and, and other things that people had written to us. I pulled out the most topical ones that I can find. Um, and I think... Um, there were some other things that John written his responses to our, our other shows. I may have, because he, he mentioned things in multiple posts that yeah. crossed over. But uh, we really appreciate all the feedback that we get, get from you guys. We'd like to get more. Now, of course, you've got several places you can go to. Our Facebook page is one. Uh, and anywhere that we post in Facebook for our episode, you can feel free to make your comment there if that's where you get it, whether it's the Choo Choo Freaks uh, feed or the cantina or any of the burn uh, Facebook groups that are out there because there's two others out uh -huh. there that, that we're not a we're member uh, at least I'm a member of and I'll it's a burn is it burn victims burn victims and that's what I'm thinking about I guess I, that 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 posts just a lot of vintage I mean just a lot of uh, uh, his pages and, and comparison pages and things like that they they've uh, I tell you, there are a lot of guys out there that can afford John Byrne artwork, and it just kills me because I can't. It ain't me. Yeah. Okay, so there's uh, there's John Byrne Comic Book Art Fans Unite, a public group. And um, I don't know the, the guy that, that manages that one at all, but they, they you know, a lot of the stuff you'll see in one, you'll see in the other, but uh, sometimes yeah. you'll get a surprise, and sometimes you'll get, like, Joe Rubenstein or one of the other inkers 
uh, Nelson or Necros uh, gets in there and comments from time to time. And uh, so it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a good thing. Now, uh, for those that know, you know that John Byrne doesn't get on Facebook or any other social media. He only responds on his own website, burnrobotics.com. But uh, you get a lot of people that get on these that will sit there and comment about, you know, working in the business with Burn or how much fun they had on one thing or another. So uh, it's, you know, it's always good there. Then there is, uh, uh, where is that? Burn Victims. Now, this one is actually run by Stephen A. Wilcox, and uh, he is a super fan. Uh, I've talked to him about coming on here, and he just doesn't feel like uh, he is a good talker. Uh, that he would be a good guest to be on the show because he is, you know, he is that number one burn fan. Uh, he is not uh, blindingly loyal. I mean, he he, you know, he's one of those guys that you know is he's got some pretty good taste there. So it's not, uh, you know, it's not like some uh, sycophant or anything like you might see on Burn's website, which can sometimes be scary. But, yeah. Uh, that being said, uh, both these are, are real good Facebook, Facebook groups. We'll post our link within those groups whenever we put a show out, so you can always comment there as well. It's harder to find them that way, but as long as I've posted it, I get a link to it if uh, someone does post something yeah. in there. Uh, that being said, you know, I uh, that's uh, aside from that, of course, you can email us at gotta get burned at gmail.com. That's G O T T A G E T B Y R N E D at gmail.com. And or just stop by Brian's house, or stop by my house. Uh, yeah, there's all Brian will be, put, Brian will be putting his uh, address uh, in the outro, so don't worry about there's that. There's always someone here at the house. Um, you know, if it's not me or my wife, it's my in-laws who live here now. He'll leave a light on for you. Just like Tom Baudet. Uh, should we be playing the violins right now? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. No, but we need to be, uh, uh, we need to wrap this up cause we're, we're pushing three over three hours. Yeah. And... Yeah. But, uh, anyway, <laughs> again, you know, Give us whatever feedback you can. We're going to be back with a regular show here real soon, uh, you know, provided that life doesn't just, you know, smother me or, or Tim. But I think yeah. I think at least on my side, we've gotten over the hump of the hard times at work. I, I'm, I'm hoping for it. Knocking on wood there. Uh, <laughs> that's somebody, somebody had showed up at your house. Uh, <laughs> stop that podcasting. It's too late. Um uh, all right. Uh, I, I, I want to thank everybody for uh, the feedback we've got. And uh, like I said, we, we, we we're happy to rate any and all that we get in. We uh, we don't necessarily respond to it like the like emails, but uh, even if we don't respond to it, we still appreciate it, yeah. you know, because, you know, if there's not anybody out there listening to us, we would probably still do this. But it's just nice knowing there are people out there that uh, that appreciate what we're doing because, you know, we don't. You know, we we discuss earlier. We don't know say no if we know what we're doing. We don't know if we're doing a good job. But it's nice to know hear people say, "Hey, I like what you're doing." Yep. So, yeah. Anything else to say, uh, Brian? Before we, uh, I'll let you close this out. All right. Uh, well, no, I mean it's you know we're right in that sweet spot between uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas, and hopefully we're going to get an issue episode out before. I mean, see, I'm doing it now. 
uh, where I'm calling our episodes issues. But issues. But uh, you know, we'll hopefully we'll get a new episode out here right before Christmas to jump on that Christmas bandwagon, and maybe just maybe we'll get some sort of roundtable going on about Star Wars: The Last Jedi. That's true. It's not burned, but it burns us. Uh, <laughs> And uh, that's that's pretty much all I got, Tim. But hey, thanks for uh, getting on here with me tonight. I know it wasn't uh, wasn't always easy, and uh, hopefully we can do it a little bit more often. Yeah, I think it's just it's just a matter of just you got to just like anything else, you just got to make time for and it. I, I got to mm-hmm. tell you guys, you know, you know, Tim and I, we really got together because of the Two True Freaks Network because we were both listening to it, we were both writing in. And, you know, we, we saw that there was a, an, a, a, an open spot for this kind of fandom. And I think that we've demonstrated that it works. So if you want to get your voice out there, there is a full area for any artist or writer that you're a big fan of that you can make your own show for. Yeah. What is it? Is it get off your ass and start to do a podcast? Yeah. That's, I, I think that's, uh, oh God, that's a great show, too. Yeah. Uh, look for that one under the general podcasts. Um, but yeah, you know, like I said, get your voice out there. If you got something that you really love, whether it's you know maybe you're just love the like John Hyatt's talking about the 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 Bronze Age of Burn of Burns work, which uh, you know I love that stuff a lot, but I love his other stuff too. So there's a lot to talk about. Oh yeah, there's tons. Of you stuff. got anything else? No, no, I think uh, it was good to, the, the, like I said, we've been out for about four months, so it's good to kind of uh, get back on the, get back in the saddle, and uh, like I said, hopefully we can, uh, we can make it, it's kind of more of a regular gig, uh, at least one, one a month, I think one a month is doable with our, with our schedule, so, yeah, I think we can do yep. it, but I, that, that's it for me, so, I, well, for Third Degree Burn, this is Tim Elliott. And this is uh, Brian Hughes. Everybody have fun and take care. (laughs) Care. Good night. And we're out. Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. If you're interested in any of the books we cover in the show, just head over to tutufreaks.com and use the Amazon link to shop. This doesn't cost any extra, but really helps support the shows. Until next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. All right, I'll be mad.